0: Good morning. Glad you all are here. Join us for Easter. I um, hope you enjoy uh, the goodies. Grant you can grab some more on the way out or um, help the kids with the uh, Easter egg hunt. Um, my suggestion, I was surprised by the weather this morning. I don't know about you, but my suggestion is portraits first, then Easter egg hunt if you have kids <laughs> you know, just to keep them looking okay. But we are really glad you're here. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. And in a few moments, we're going to look at the very first time that he spoke to his hometown crowd in Nazareth and what he said in, in that teaching time. Uh, in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at how Jesus comes through on the claims that he made in that, in that teaching time to his hometown crowd Uh, Like I said, we're we're celebrating the fact that Jesus came back from death. If you can bounce back from death, then you can bounce back from anything. And Jesus has the power to do that. He's the expert on bouncing back. So that's what we're looking at today. There are two parts to every bounce. There's the pre-bounce phase and the post-bounce, Super Bowl. Pretty cool, huh? Pre-bounce Post bounce phase. There's what happens before it bounces, the history before it hits the ground, and then the post bounce or the future, what's going to happen after it hits the ground. So we're going to look at uh, how we as people bounce, the, the history of our, our heading downward, and then the future after we uh, hit the ground, and how, how the Lord Jesus really wants to give us a good one. Understanding both parts. Of the, of the bounce, is a key to determining whether or not a downturn in your life will be either a bounce or a crash. So we're going to look at this. Jesus introduced us, or he actually taught, using six words that begin with R-E, re. There's six re-words. And in this series of messages, we're going to look at how those words show us the keys to bouncing back. Words like, we sang uh, one of the words, redeem, in one of the songs earlier. Redeem, uh, repent, renew, reborn. Jesus used these words, and it shows us how to bounce back after we've had a downturn. Um, That that prefix, R-E, re, it means to go back. That's that's what it means. It's, It's from a Latin word that means to go back. So when a downturn occurs in our life, many times what God is doing and what he wants to do is he wants us to go back and change something. He wants us to stop and think about what's going on in our lives. And he hopes that the downturn will lead us to turn to him and trust him with our lives. So over the next five weeks, we're going to look at Uh, How Jesus can help us with the bounce back from anything. Now, everybody gets down. At least I do. I I have down days, down times. I I can very easily get down on myself. I don't don't know about you. One of the things that used to get me is when my kids were growing up and my daughter was really into soccer, my son was really into baseball, and I, I, I would get down on myself for the way I would act as I was watching them play. Sports. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous, really. I'd, I'd tell myself, okay, stay calm, be a rational human being watching children play sports. But no, once the game started, you know, Randy is all wound up wanting them to win, yelling at 16-year-old umpires that I had to ask to forgive me after the game. And, you know, I, I, I really, now, I should know better, shouldn't I? I really should. And so I would, I would have, I would just gear up and then I would beat myself up afterwards and, you know, it was kind of amazing. One time my son played serious baseball later on in his teen years and, uh, one of the coaches, I went to him and I was complaining, can you believe that hump? He's not calling any strikes. And the, and the guy says, well, you know, if he was any good, he'd be in the major leagues. So we can't expect. That was like a little piece of perspective. (laughs) (laughs) that I really needed. But I, I would, honestly, I would get down on myself, and I would think, okay, I should just, maybe I shouldn't go to the games. Maybe it would just be better for everybody involved if I just removed myself from the situation. But anyway, you know how it is. There's something maybe that you're trying to change, something you're working on, and it can drag you down. We tend to get down emotionally, spiritually, relationally, Emotionally, we get discouraged, maybe even a little depressed because of the difficulty or adversity that's keeping us from getting where we want to be in life. There's an ebb and flow to our emotions. Sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. When you're trying to get a job, you're looking for a job, boy, there's a lot of room for being down, searching for a job. Or... Aiming to get established in a job or trying to move your business forward. There's a lot of adversity. Trying to complete a major project sometimes can just, oh, that's tough. Or, or a rough semester in school. Just just working through that. The economy, like we're all experiencing now, the economy takes a downturn. And our own economy, our own personal budget never seems to balance. It's happening on a big large scale and in a in a small way. So we get down emotionally about these things. Spiritually, we can get frustrated by habits or failures or mistakes that we make over and over again. We just can't can't seem to change. There you go. You know, you did it again. You're trying to stop that. There it goes. Said the wrong thing, caved into a bad habit, did the wrong thing. Or it just bums you out that you can't seem to adopt a habit that would really be helpful. Relationally, we get down because we're we're constantly experiencing conflicts, you know, with with people. It, it, it can hollow you out. Friendships get strained. Marriages can end. And and you you just sometimes with the way you relate to your kids and the way they're coming back at you, you just don't feel like a great parent. You know, you really want to be. The best parent you can, you get down because of what's going on. How do I bounce back? That's the question. And how do I keep bouncing back from the downs of my life? We we use different words uh, or different phrases for bouncing back. Life as we know it involves ups and downs, ups and downs, kind of like a roller coaster. And the the longer you live, the more likelihood that you're going to have some real downs of some kind. If you don't have anywhere to turn when things are down, uh, it's hard to bounce back. You, you can do it. We're going to talk about how you can do it. It's very hard to bounce back, but it's more like a thud than it is a bounce. You know, This, this is a bounce. That's, that's a thud. It's, it's really hard to bounce back on your own. So we're going to look at that. We use phrases, though, to describe our down times. I've, I'm the lowest I've ever been. It's kind of a phrase we use. It's the lowest of lows. Boy, we talk to a friend, he, he is really down and out. Or she is getting down on herself. And so what do we when we're down, what do we want? We need a pick me up. Like some coffee, favorite coffee drink, or chocolate, or we're just we're trying to find a way. We need a pick me up. There's a phrase that we tell ourselves, you've got to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. That phrase. You know what that phrase means? The bootstraps are that little hook at the top of the heel of your boot. And that's a reference to you've got to do the impossible. You've just, you've just been knocked down, you're on the ground, and you're laying there trying to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's impossible. But that's what, that's what we tell ourselves. We fall into the ground, and we can't can't get up. We're trying to get up by the bootstraps. This is actually the origin of the computer term, reboot. The, the the It was called bootstrapping to begin with, and that was the reference. And I don't know about you, but that's about the extent of my technical expertise with a computer. When it freezes or crashes, I'm like, okay, let's turn it off and turn it back on. Oh, God, please, bring it back to life. That would be great. I mean, we really need, I need this to come back. I don't want to spend the, however much money it's going to cost. It's the same with people. When we're down, we've got to figure out how to reboot. What's it, how, how can we come back? Where do we go to get a pick-me-up? We really need that. Well, Jesus' resurrection that we're celebrating today proves that he has the power to help us deal with our past, And propel into the future. He he has everything we need. He can do it. So let's go back to his first public appearance in his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, This is at the very beginning of his ministry. This is three years before the resurrection uh, occurred. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was about 80 miles from Bethlehem. Um, It was about a four-day journey like by donkey, that's how they they do it usually. Uh, Four-day journey, kind of like driving from here to the East Coast, take about four days. Everybody in Nazareth knew him. He was the son of a carpenter, and from his teenage years, from his early teenage years, he began to work as a carpenter. So everybody in the town of Nazareth knew him because he had done projects for them. He he had, had built some things in the town, and so they were, they were very familiar with him. And by the time that Jesus uh, spoke or taught in the synagogue in his hometown, he had become a very popular teacher, but he had done most of his teaching in other parts of the country, so people hadn't, hadn't really heard him in his hometown. And so he comes back, and since he's beginning to become known, the synagogue leader invites him to say something. at the the synagogue. And so he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, which is a a book in the Old Testament, and the way scrolls were, they were rolled onto a roller on this side, and then you'd roll them off and roll them onto another roller. So I'd imagine to get to 61 took him a while. So he's, he's rolling it. He gets to 61, and this is the description you see in Luke 4. You can see it on the screens. He went to Nazareth, Where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. That's what, in this day, you sat down to teach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He had their attention. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He read the scroll, sat down to teach, and Luke summarized what he said in his teaching with that phrase. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now God's people had been waiting for that scripture to be filled, fulfilled for 700 years. They they had been waiting a long time. They knew this scripture passage very well. They had placed their hopes on the fact that God was going to fulfill this scripture. So when he said it's fulfilled in your hearing today, they were paying attention. They've been longing for this for 700 years, every year they would be asking, is this the year of the Lord's favor? Is this the the year that God's going to turn things around? Because they as a nation, Israel as a nation, they were under siege by Rome. And so they themselves were experiencing a major downturn in in the political and economic climate. They were were wondering, is this the year God is going to fulfill this prophecy and pick us up? And that's, that's what happens. You know, life goes on when things are down. Life goes on. But you're, you're just sort of waiting. Is it, is it ever going to get better? Is, it, is there going to be a pick-me-up? Are things going to turn around? And so you can imagine the shock of this hometown crowd when Jesus says, this scripture is written about me. I'm the fulfillment. I have come to bring in the year Of the Lord's favor. Now that's a good year, the year of the Lord's favor. He was referring to the year of Jubilee, which is a law that God put into the nation of Israel, and every 50 years they would have a year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, God wrote this into the nation's laws, and it would balance the economic system. But every 50 years, slaves were set free. Property that had been sold reverted back to its original old owner. So, if you buy it in the first year after the year of jubilee, it's like a 49-year lease. You know, so that's the way the economy ran. The the, so the property that was sold reverted back. Debts were canceled in in the year of jubilee. I, I want one of those. All right, I I've got a daughter in college. I've got a mortgage. <laughs> Let's do this jubilee thing. But but Jesus, when he was talking about the, this year, the year of the Lord's favor, he applied it to his own ministry, not, not in a political or economic sense, but in a spiritual sense, he was applying it to his own ministry. So this is a staggering claim that he makes to his hometown crowd. Everyone knew these verses. They, they knew those. They, they were clinging to those. And they actually, they knew the the next verse that he didn't quote. It's verse 3 in Isaiah 61. It says, To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. What Jesus is saying to the synagogue is very clear. I'm the one who's going to do all this. I can help you trade your grief for joy, your depression for real hope, and the ashes of your life can be made into a strong tree with deep roots that cannot be shaken or uprooted by the weather or by the circumstances you're going through. This is impossible. How do you make something out of ashes? Jesus was a carpenter. He he knows you can't make anything out of ashes, but he promises to do just that. That's his promise. To understand why and how he he will do this, we're going to look at the pre-bounce, our history, and then our future, the the post-bounce. But first, let's dig into our history. You find out as you dig into Scripture that sin is something that every human being has in common. We've all sinned. It's a part of our history, both as a race and as individuals. It's a real source of every fall that we experience. We, we, we live in a fallen experience. This isn't the experience that God intended because we've all rebelled. The first sin ever committed by a human being, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman back at the beginning of time, the first sin is called The fall of mankind. So, uh, ever since they made that decision to rebel against God, uh, we've had to fight. We gave our stamp of approval, by the way, to their decision. But we've had to fight a downward pull of gravity coming from inside of us and coming from circumstances outside of us. And so we always experience, or we've all experienced this pull in a fallen world. The entire planet is on a pre-bounce phase. We're all, we're all on a pre-bounce. So no matter how much we fight against this downward pull ourselves, uh, no one can escape its final result, which is death. Before his own resurrection, Jesus did something. And I think he did it because he wanted to prove that he has the power to bring us back to life after we die. Uh, what happened is a good friend of his, Lazarus, died. Or actually, Lazarus got sick. And Lazarus had two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. And he, he, they sent word to Jesus, say, hey, Lazarus is sick. Would you come and take care of him? Because they knew that Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus. They'd seen him heal before. And so they knew he had the power to heal. And so Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister, send the word. Hey, could you come? Lazarus is sick. We need you to come pray over him, heal him, uh, make it all better. Well, Jesus delays. He, he doesn't run right to Lazarus' side. In fact, he delays for two days. In those two days, Lazarus dies. So he dies. Jesus hasn't rushed to his side. And as Jesus is walking up to the house, Martha, Mary's inside the house probably morning, Martha walks out to greet Jesus on his way into the house and And she says, uh, Rabbi, teacher, Lazarus has died. And Jesus says, well, don't worry, he will rise again. And then they have a dialogue because she's probably thinking he's talking about the next life. And he says, no, I, I want you to get this straight. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then what he does next, I think he did, to prove his power. He goes to the grave side, he goes to Lazarus' grave, he asks him to roll away the stone, and he calls him out of the grave. Lazarus gets up and walks out. Amazing, amazing what Jesus did. He brings him back to life. Now, Lazarus eventually dies. You know, he doesn't live forever, but he eventually dies because if he was still alive, I'd invite him to be a guest speaker this morning, and it'd be kind of cool. you know he'd probably be in the robe and telling us all about. But he he eventually dies. So I don't think Jesus brought him back to life because he couldn't stand the thought of his friend Lazarus dying. I think he brought him back to life because he wanted to prove his power. He wanted to display it. He wanted people to see it before he himself died and was raised. He wanted to show his power. What Jesus has done for us is he's taken care of the core problem. That we all experience. We've sinned, and we've brought spiritual death on ourselves. That means that we're cut off from knowing God personally in our natural state. This is the real problem. Jesus has stepped into history, and He has made a way for us to live even after we die. That's the message He brought that day. We we tend to look at our circumstances, and we ride the roller coaster of the ups and downs of our lives without noticing that we're in a free fall toward death. We, we are falling toward death. And if we can't deal with this ultimate problem, then all the little problems, all the little ups and downs don't really matter. We really need to step back and deal with the big problem, this fact that we're falling in this free fall toward death. So it's important. We're going to live 30, 70 years or so, the uh, Bible says, and... However many God gives us, some, some shorter, some more. But then life is over. No bounce. It's over. No, no bounce in this life. It, it's all over. Imagine a person who decides that they're going to defy the law of gravity. They go up on a 10-story, top of a 10-story building, and they jump. You and I know what's going to happen. There is not going to be a bounce. This is not going to be a bounce. This is going to be a splat. And the reason that is, is not because God is cruel. It's because he's built this law into the way the world works, the law of gravity. And we have to operate in light of it. He's built it in. There's no fudging the law of gravity. So we know if a person jumps off, what's going to happen? Now, morally, we've done the same thing. We've defied God's laws. And the effect of that is we've jumped. And the result is death, spiritually. Not because God is cruel, but because this is his law. He's built this law into the way it works. He wanted us to have the freedom to choose. When we choose to go our own way, it cuts us off from knowing him personally. How do we stop the free fall? Since we've jumped morally, how do we stop the free fall? People come up with different solutions. Uh, what if we return to God and stop defying his laws? Well, that's a great idea, but it's sort of like deciding after you've jumped that it wasn't a good decision. Too late. On your way down, it's too late to change your mind. What if we decide to become a better person? A lot of people do that. I'm just going to become a better person, try to make up for my history, my past. That's a good idea, but that's like slapping your arms on the way down, you know, we, We don't have wings. It's, it's, you know, we're not going to generate any momentum the other direction. We're going down. So God became a man. That's what this day is about. God became a man. His name was Jesus. Why? To jump after us, to take the jump for us. On the cross, Jesus took the fall for us. He absorbed all of the consequences of our choices. The ones that we deserved, he absorbed. He took them on himself. And then he says to you and I, just like he said to Martha, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, I will not only cushion your fall, I will help you bounce back. I will help you move forward. Jesus' death and resurrection are the beginning of the year of the Lord's favor. This is the beginning. Our debt is canceled. We are free if we will accept what he has done for us and entrust our lives to him. That's our history. That's how Jesus taken. He's taken care of the pre-bounds. Now let's look at the, the future. What does this mean for our future? We just looked at the re of resurrection. Surrection is the last part of the word resurrection. It's from a Latin root that means to surge or to rise. That's what that word means. The fact that Jesus has taken care of our debt and our past makes all the difference for our future. He didn't just come to cushion our fall, but, but he wants to give us a future with a very different trajectory than our past. He wants, us, he wants to take the ashes that are left over and make something beautiful. He will take the very thing, that's our source of grief and pain and depression and turn it into joy and turn it into celebration. He will take the seeds of your difficult circumstances and, and all the pain. And if we cooperate with him, he will use them to grow deep roots over time that grow into strong trees of righteousness. He, he will do this. If this is going to happen, though, we have to make a choice. You have to decide to follow his way into the future, not your own way. That's the choice we have to make. Without Jesus, you can bounce back from tragedy or difficulty. People do it all the time. It happens all the time. I'm not here to say that you can't do it um, because it's, it's done a lot. But powered by natural human resiliency, people recover time and time again. It happens. But which direction do they bounce? That's the question. Under your own power, you can get up and keep going, but it's easy to bounce backwards. It's it's easy to to go through a crash or a a thud, and as you're trying to just, okay, I'm just going to gut it out, and I'm going to do this myself, it's very easy to become bitter and hardened, and the joy is gone from life. What you can find in Jesus as you hit the ground and you turn to Him is you can bounce and He'll give you the joy. He'll make it, he'll make it work for your good. He will bring it back. He, he will. It's not that we can't, but the difficulty that smacked us down and the adversity that we're dealing with, either spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever it is, they, they, they sort of shake, shake our perspective and we're, we're trying to focus. And when we grab ourselves and, and decide to make it happen for ourselves, we can become very hardened. In our own effort, we can lash out at other people. We wall people off that we love, we love and care for. Or we begin to beat ourselves silly. That's my action of choice. You know, like when, when I would act like a crazy person at my kids' games. I would beat myself up for that. Yeah, Come on, Randy, you should know better. Be a rational human being. You speak in front of people every week and you tell them you know, do this. Eh. I struggle. But the thing about Jesus, if you'll just admit you're wrong, if you'll just come to him and say, I need you, Lord Jesus, to pick me up. I need your help. He will do that. He will turn the grief into joy. He will turn the pain into a celebration as you walk with him. And, and you have the benefit of his help, his power, that you don't get on your own. Jesus wants us to turn to him when we're down and trust him so that he can help us bounce forward in the right direction. You can tap into his power, the power of his resurrection, when you stop living for yourself and quit trying to pick yourself up. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus wants your personal fall to be the catalyst that he uses to help you stop living for yourself and start living for him. This is how you make the resurrection personal. You, you stop going your own way and you start going his way. For the next five weeks, we're going to take a detailed look at what it means to no longer live for yourself. What it means to do this. How Jesus helps us bounce back. And, and how to live for him who died for you. And I, I'd like to invite you back. Uh, come back and join us each Sunday. I know if you're investigating Christianity, what it's all about, the best way to do that is in a Sunday service where the Bible's taught. You can, you can hear it and decide for yourself. And then if you're starting out in your walk with him, It's important to hear hear the Bible taught and begin to take it in and try to apply it to your life. But this is how you tap into the power of Jesus' resurrection. It's when you stop living for yourself and when you quit trying to pick yourself up. Under the pressures that get us down in life, Jesus wants us to surrender to him and let him give us the power to bounce back. Romans 6.4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to have a new life. He wants to give us a fresh life. He wants us to, to walk into the future with him. The resurrection proves he has the power to do that. He has the power to help us bounce back. If we're living for Jesus, if we stop living for ourselves and we start living for Jesus, then we'll have a reason to keep going. You yourself, you're not enough of a reason. Me, I would just crawl into a corner in my house and sit there in a blob. Just, I don't want to keep going as I face the tough things that go on in life. But since I'm living for Jesus, that that pulls me forward. He gives me motivation to do what pleases Him. If we rely on Jesus' power to pick us up, then we don't have to beat ourselves silly. He's already taken the punishment for us on the cross. We don't have to beat ourselves up anymore. We, we don't have to lash out at the people around us because if we'll trust him, if we'll learn to cooperate with him and we'll turn to him over and over again as we're dealing with life, then he has already covered our past, And he that gives you the power. Since we're forgiven, and he forgives, Since we're forgiven, that gives us the power to keep moving into the future and experience His blessing as we follow Him. As I wrap up the message this morning, I'd like to ask you, uh, if you would, take out that connection card again. I've got some next steps that I'm going to suggest. If you'd take out the connection card, you could let us know if you're interested in taking these steps and drop it in the offering. If there's any question you have about following Christ, there's a place for... Let, letting us know there that, what it means to begin a relationship with Christ, but here are my suggestions on things you could do as a result of this message. My next step is to first of all memorize romans six four a great verse to memorize to realize Jesus died so that we could have new life that's that's why he died and and was raised and then another step would be quit trying to pick pick yourself up. maybe that's what you're doing you're trying under your own power to pick yourself up. You just need to stop. Lord, I'm going to stop. I'm going to trust you. Would you give me the power to pick myself up? Would you do that? And then finally, for the first time, I'm deciding to accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him as Lord. This is how you start living for Christ. You decide to accept him, what he's done on the cross to save you, and then you begin to follow him into the future. In a moment... We're going to be receiving our offering, and I'd like to ask you to take the time while I'm talking to complete any information on the connection card that you haven't been able to, or to add your next steps on there. And then when our offering ushers come around, if you could just place that card in the offering, that'd be great. If you're a first-time guest with us today, welcome. We're really glad you're here. We have a book for you. It's a gift that we have for you. It's, it's out on the guest resource table to the left as you walk out, Uh, you're welcome to pick up a book on your way out. And if if you'd like to to meet me uh, or, or Alex or anyone on staff, we'll be mingling around the goodies after the worship service. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find. Jesus, we thank you for your power that was displayed in your resurrection. I pray that, God, you would, you would give us the strength to take the next steps that you've laid on our heart this morning. May you be honored, pleased, as we take these steps, and, and may you help us just as we sort through life and try to, to figure it out. May we turn to you over and over again for the power to bounce back. God, we ask for this, and thank you for what you've done in the name of Jesus Christ.